1: Thank you so much for joining us. This is going to be a great show today because I have somebody that you already know. I have with me today Kim Updegrove, who is the immediate past president of the Human Milk Banking Association of North America. Kim is also the executive director at the Mother's Milk Bank of Austin, Texas. Kim, welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be back, Marie. For those of you who might not have caught last week's show, I'll give you just a brief kind of summary here of what Kim and I talked about last week, and of course, you know that Kim does milk banking, Kim lives milk banking, so the show was about milk banking. Last week, though, we took on what I guess I would call the donor aspect of human milk banking, and today we're going to talk about the recipient aspect. So we talked about the Human Milk Banking Association of North America, and those initials are H-M-B-A-N-A, and those of us who are in lactation usually kind of slur it together and call it Humbana. So we talked about what a Humbana-regulated milk bank is, the motivation and eligibility criteria for donors, and the way that others can help. Now, you, listeners, you are one of those other people. So I would just like you to know that we are still this week running a contest for uh, anyone who might be interested, even remotely thinking about the possibility of maybe donating milk. This is a critical, life-giving endeavor You don't have to be, like I wrote on my blog, you don't have to run into a burning building. You don't have to run out into traffic in order to be a hero. You can be a hero just by donating milk and giving the gift of life. And Kim is going to talk to us more about why that's so important. I am offering a $50 gift certificate to Amazon.com for the winner who is randomly picked from the list that Kim is going to give to me of all those women who are going to call the milk bank and just inquire about the possibility of donating milk, meaning you don't actually have to donate in order to get into that hat for the possibility of earning the uh, gift card. All you got to do is just call and inquire. And if it's not for you, we understand. It's a little bit like giving blood. If this is something that you think you can do, If it's safe for you to do it in your life situation, if you're willing to do it, it would be so helpful. Kim really emphasized to us last week that for these tiny, tiny, itty-bitty babies, human milk is not just a matter of the old, you know, you've heard it, breast is best. No, it's more than breast is best. It's really a matter of human milk being essential for the survival of these babies. And I would encourage you that if you haven't already gone and read my blog, please do so. It is at www.BornToBeBreastFed.com. And by all means, take down this number, toll free, call Kim at 877-813-6455. So Kim... Help us with some of these statistics. You did this a little bit last week. And I have to tell you, I was pretty blown away by all that you said. And I know that you... Have even more to say, so I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that today. Can you summarize a little bit about the need here? First of all, let me explain to our listeners that we're talking especially about these babies that are what are known as very low birth weight infants. These are the kids who are less than 1500 grams, which is uh, more or less rec- roughly equivalent to about three pounds. These babies literally fit in your hand. Kim, how many of these kids do we give birth to annually here in the United States? Thanks,
2: Marie. Actually, when we're talking about these very tiny babies, there are 60,000. That's six with four zeros. 60,000 babies born per year in the United States who fit in this category, And interestingly, because they're born so small, they end up not going home with mom and dad from the hospital. They end up staying in the neonatal intensive care unit typically for quite a few months. And... Uh, The milk for them is life-saving. It's not just best, and I know we're going to talk about that. But because it's life-saving, we try to give them as much human milk as possible. Ironically, because the NICU is such a stressful experience and because sometimes moms give birth prematurely before the baby's full term because they have some medical issues going on, Only about 50% of the moms of these 60,000 babies are able to provide them with human milk. And so if we estimate how much milk these babies need who don't get it from their moms, it's 9 million ounces across the United States every year.
1: So you're saying that these babies, these 60,000 babies need 9 million ounces. Of milk. That's right.
2: That's right. In order to be life-saving and in order to avoid the complications that happen when we don't feed human milk to these babies, nine million ounces are needed.
1: Kim, uh, the mothers, I mean the biological mothers, don't they provide some of that milk for the babies?
2: They sometimes can, Marie, and, and hospitals work very hard with the mothers who are able to safely express their milk, to get that milk to their babies, but we sometimes deliver babies early because we want to treat the mom with things that are toxic to the babies, things like chemotherapy, some medications that would be harmful in the milk. So, those moms, we say, we know you have milk, but, but we can't use your milk for your baby at least at this time. There are lots of other moms who um, develop complications of pregnancy or of other things going on in their lives that lead them to not have milk for their babies, even if they initially have a little bit, which we do give to the babies because they don't need much initially, but then their milk supply dries up and yet here you have this tiny one or two or three pound baby who still needs human milk if that baby is going to survive. So that's where donor human milk comes into play.
1: Kim, you told us last week that the donor, the woman who is donating the milk, needs to commit to giving at least 100 ounces of milk. So tell us again, how many meals would that constitute for these little tiny babies?
2: Well, I know it's hard to contemplate how tiny these babies are and what a small amount of milk they can have at one meal. 100 ounces of milk is 300 meals.
1: Wow. So, you know, for people who work in a soup kitchen and they think about how many meals they are distributing to adults, here is one woman who would be able to provide 300 meals for one baby. I, I know, too, that you said that in, the, in 2013 the milk banks, meaning not just the one in Austin where you work, but the milk banks nationally dispensed uh, some 425,000 ounces, but you need even more. I, I was thinking about the 9 million ounces that you need, but how many ounces did you actually dispense in 2013?
2: Right. So let me correct that just just briefly. There's nine million ounces needed to okay. take care of all these babies. All of the nonprofit milk banks under Himbana dispensed in 2013 3.2 million ounces. So that was about a third of what's needed if every infant was fed optimally. Here at wow. the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin, just, just us alone, we dispensed 425,000 ounces.:
1: That is just amazing, just amazing. Kim, help out. so Kim, just curiosity. I'm thinking that probably the Mother's Milk Bank of Austin is one of the largest in the country.
2: Yes. Right. We have a very large number of hospitals, so we're an unusual model. We're serving almost 110 hospitals in 20 states right now, and those are the hospitals that specifically take care of those babies small enough to be in your hands. So we're proud of the fact that we dispensed 425,000 ounces last year, but really what we need this year is about 550,000 ounces. So that's a big jump um, and it means that we need the milk donors to go along with that. But we're hopeful that people everywhere in the U.S. will start to talk about the need and therefore everyone will know that if they have extra breast milk, even just two or three ounces per day, they could be lifesavers of these babies.
1: Yes, like we talked last week, that it might be a matter of just pumping an ounce or two after you feed your own baby, uh, you know, four or five times a day, and inside of a month, you're done. So, Kim, give us just really the big, broad picture of why... the uh, I was kind of surprised when I found out that 100% of the donor milk goes to preterm babies because I had always understood that we could, and certainly human milk can be used for other things as well, but I was really kind of surprised that 100% goes to these very low birth weight babies. Why do they get priority?
2: So preterm infants whose lives are saved by human milk, are prioritized uh, the same way that any other human tissue is prioritized for those recipients. We prioritize the scarce number of kidneys we have for the patients whose lives will be saved by that kidney transplant. Same with human milk. So preterm infants, they actually need human milk in order to survive. They are born so early that none of their organs is mature enough to live outside of the mother until human milk is introduced to that child because human milk, in ways that we don't fully understand, helps trigger the development and the maturation of those organs, of the heart and the liver and the pancreas and the intestines and the brain.
1: All so, so important, and I think that maybe your analogy of how, it's it's just like looking at whether somebody gets priority for an an organ, because really, human milk is certainly human tissue. Uh, Listeners, don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with Kim Updegrove from the Human Milk Banking Association of North America. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break.
3: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
4: evidence for your practice starts here visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894
0: do you enjoy listening to marie Biancuzo? Call Marie today at 703 787 9894 to find an option that works for your staff.
3: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
0: You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuzo or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuzzo. Thank you so much for joining me and my guest today. My guest is Kim Updegrove, who is the immediate past president of the Human Milk Banking Association of North America, usually known as Humbana, and Kim also is the executive director of the Mother's Milk Bank in Austin, Texas. Before we move on, I'd like to just make a quick mention to two of our sponsors, Pump and Pal, If Your Flange fits. Use it. If you want an alternative flange while you keep your favorite pump, visit pumpandpal.com. That's P U M P I N P A L.com. And how about this? If you're looking for a unique gift or a practical item for your own child, visit newangel.com. Made for mothers, for by mothers, for mothers. Shop at www.nuangel.com. So, Kim, last week we talked about donors, and today really the focus is on the recipients. So, it seems to me like this business of feeding human milk to human babies could really be seen as a double edged sword because sharing a body fluid sounds kind of serious. Help us <laughs> <Right>. to understand. <laughs> Is it safe? That's what most people ask me. Is it safe?
2: So body fluids are very interesting. They carry all of the bacteria and the viruses that we shed all the time. Now, we're not always sick from our bacteria and viruses because we have active immune systems. We have protections in our body against the things that we come across, even if we carry them. Our milk, like other body fluids, is able to carry those bacteria and viruses, and transfer them to our babies. Our own biological babies have our antibodies, but if we're sharing milk, then those babies who are foreign to us, who didn't come from our our babies, our bodies, rather, so those babies who came from other moms' bodies, those babies can get sick from the bacteria and viruses in our milk. This is a a difficult situation because when you talk about preterm babies, those babies actually need human milk. If not from their biological mothers, then from moms who are donating their milk. Because if they don't get human milk, if they're uh, if they're fed a different species milk like formula, then they run a very high risk of getting an inflammatory. Uh, syndrome of the intestines called necrotizing enterocolitis. And because that's so hard to say, we abbreviate it as NEC, but NEC essentially causes the intestine tissue to die and therefore we have to remove it surgically. And removing intestines of very small babies surgically means that 60% of those will not survive.
1: Uh, you know, Kim, you're a really nice nurse. I- I'm not quite that nice. I have no hesitation to tell parents. What happens is the food gets the in there and it rots. The food literally rots in the gut rather than being digested. And that's kind of graphic, but honestly, it's just so important for them to understand that this is not just a matter of, well, you know, it's almost as good, it's really not almost as good. So, the other question that I get a lot is, well, yeah, yeah, but in order to destroy those germs that are quote foreign, you have to do pasteurization. Now, you and I all know about pasteurization and uh, holder pasteurization and so forth, but what the the part that I think people really don't understand is, uh, they ask me, won't the milk lose the important components when it is exposed to holder pasteurization? And I basically tell them, sure, you know, anytime that you're exp- uh, exposing human tissue to any kind of extreme heat or extreme cold, that's not the ideal thing, but still help, help us to understand why even after it's pasteurized, the human milk is still a really good thing.
2: So human milk contains a lot of things that are useful to babies. And one of the, the primary uses of the milk is nutritional. It's got fat and protein and carbohydrate in it. And even though we Use holder pasteurization, which is heating that milk to 62.5 degrees Celsius for 30 minutes. The fat, protein, and carbohydrate content remain the same. We test it before pasteurization and after pasteurization. They're not changed. Human milk also, though, provides immune products to the baby. The preterm baby does not have an activated immune system. That means basically that the baby who is exposed to bacteria is going to get sick. Pasteurization destroys those bacteria. At the same time, the pasteurization, the heat processing affects the immune products slightly. So, your primary defense against someone coughing their viruses on you today is secretory IgA. And secretory IgA is in milk, and we give it to the baby every time we feed the baby. Uh When we pasteurize that milk, we destroy up to 30% of it. But guess what? That leaves 70% 70 of it.
1: That's Uh right.
2: And there is exactly zero in formula.
1: Right. I think, too, first of all, Thanks for helping us to understand the bit about, because I, I usually, when I talk about biochemistry, I usually start out by saying there are really two things you need to understand. First is the nutritional component, and then there is the uh, protective component. And I think, too, that when parents get worried that they're, it's going to lose some of its components, the other thing I kind of try to help them to be aware of is that human milk has over 300 components so you kind of got to get it into perspective and i, I loved what, what you said about how you know well hello 70 percent of the uh egg a is is still there but but kim also help us with this too i know that holder pasteurization uh destroys some or many of the bacteria but not all is that true
2: That is true, Marie. It is heartbreaking in the milk bank system, but one of the types of bacteria that are not destroyed by holder pasteurization is called bacillus. And bacillus Uh is not destroyed by the heating because it loves the heating. It actually, when you heat the milk with bacillus in it, it activates that bacteria and encourages it to grow. And unfortunately, when we test the milk after pasteurization and find bacillus in it, we have to discard the milk. We cannot dispense it to a baby because it could make that baby very ill.
1: Very ill, yes. And so really, Kim, what you're saying is Holder pasteurization does not destroy all bacteria, but when it is not destroyed, you're going to know because you're going to test that milk before it's dispensed, and it's going to get dispensed to the trash can, not to the baby.
2: That's exactly right. Only milk okay. that has zero growth on a culture plate at 48 hours after being heat-treated gets dispensed to babies. Otherwise, it's thrown out.
1: Well, nowadays, a lot of women are talking about community milk sharing, or sometimes they call it informal milk sharing. And we had Emma Kwaznika from the uh, Human Milk for Human Babies on the show earlier this year. So I think listeners have a fairly good understanding of what community mi- uh, shared milk is. And one of the things that Emma told us when she was on the show is that when through community sharing, the parents actually meet each other and they realize that the mother's baby is doing just fine. And so the, the mother who is getting the milk, well, obviously it's maybe getting the milk, but she would logically conclude that because that mother has got a healthy baby that she's feeding, and that she she sees the healthy baby, that that milk is also going to be okay for her baby, meaning the recipient. Uh, can can you clarify this for us, please?
2: Yes. So there are two issues here, Marie, and the first is something that is very frustrating to us in the healthcare world. No one can look at another person, whether it's a baby or a a teenager or an older person and say that they are healthy just by looking at them. So when we look at babies and they look healthy, that's lovely, but that isn't exactly clinical evidence that the baby is well. When the mother of that healthy appearing baby shares her milk with another mother's baby, she is assuming that that other mother's baby has an active immune system. And whatever's in her milk, whatever germs are being transferred to her own baby, are okay for that second baby. And it's a guess. There is no way to know that. Without pasteurization, we don't know whether we are transferring bacteria and viruses and whether they will be harmful to that baby receiving the milk.
1: So really... You can't just look at someone and know if they are healthy or if they are infected. And mothers or babies could have an infection, but not have any symptoms. That's
2: right. Moreover, you can't look at the baby and know that its immune system is actually functioning. So you might be transferring the cold virus, for instance, to your baby, but your baby's immune system is protecting it against the milk.
1: We have less than 1 minute you're... left. Go ahead. Oh, excuse me. We have 1 less than 1 minute left in the segment here. Can you tell us I know that flash heating is not the same as pasteurization, but mothers who are sharing milk often ask uh why the the flash heating wouldn't just do the job. Can you answer that better than I can, please?
2: Hopefully. Flash heating is actually um, a different process other than holder pasteurization. It is heating the milk very quickly at a high temperature. And there is no data that if you do this outside of a lab that you aren't harming the milk and there is no data showing that you're actually getting rid of the bacteria and viruses that you would like to be gone from the milk.
1: So essentially, flash heating is not your guarantee that all is well. Absolutely not. All righty. Very good. Kim, thank you so much. Listeners, don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm with Kim Updegrove. We'll be right back after this short break.
3: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
0: Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff.
4: For a live or online course or inquire about training today, please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703 787 9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703 787 9894.
3: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I have with me today Kim Updegrove, who is the executive director of the Mother's Milk Bank of Austin, Texas. Kim is also the immediate, and I'm talking immediate, as in like a week or 10 days ago, past president of the Human Milk Banking Association. Just before the break, we talked about the baby getting the milk and issues as related to uh, having either necrotizing enterocolitis or the possibility of getting infection if the milk is infected. And basically, Kim gave us the reassurance that if milk is not completely bacteria-free, it is not dispensed from The milk bank, basically, it's dispensed into the trash can. So, Kim, I want to talk in this segment about what I would call real life. You've given us so much really good information for our heads, but I want to get this down to the boots on the ground level here. Once the milk arrives at your doorstep, okay, you really get people who are offering to donate milk. And by the way, for those of you who might want to donate milk, call Kim at toll-free 813 uh, 6455 Once the milk arrives on your doorstep, can you kind of walk us through what happens next? You unpack it, what happens next?
2: Sure. So milk arrives at the milk bank, either from local donors or from donors who are shipping their milk at our expense. We open that box, and we log the milk, linking it to that woman's medical record and a unique ID for her. The milk is then in our freezer until we select it for a particular day. When it's selected, it's thawed overnight in the refrigerator, poured into a flask, and strained... It then is tested nutritionally to look at that fat, protein, and carbohydrate content and tested microbiologically so that we can appreciate what kinds of bacteria are in the milk before we heat it. Then we determine based on her nutritional data whose milk is going to be mixed with who else's in order to achieve a base caloric content for these tiny babies in the hospitals. We pour this milk Mix together into small bottles with tamper-evident caps. Heat that milk to 62.5 degrees Celsius for 30 minutes. Rapidly cool it to stop the heating. We take one bottle from each batch and we we retest the nutritional data. And we retest the microbiological content to prove that there's no more bacteria. We label this milk nutritionally and then place it in the freezer until it can be dispensed.
1: That sounds like a lot of work, Kim. (laughs) These are very precious
2: babies, Marie.
1: (laughs) Whoa, that sounds like a lot of work. So for these precious babies, can you tell us a real life story? I want to hear what it's really like for a baby who, for one reason or another, did not get his mother's milk, did not get human milk from the milk bank, Was it a bad outcome? What happened?
2: All right. So, you know, I'm going to start with one that that wasn't so pretty um, because I've just visited with this family. So there was a family who was expecting twins. They gave birth to those twins at about 32 weeks, and a full-term pregnancy is 40 weeks. So these babies were what we call late preterm babies. The mom says that uh, her, the importance of her having breast milk was not emphasized, and she found the NICU experience to be very stressful. So she did not work hard to express her milk and bring it to her babies. The babies were fed formula to make up for the feedings that they didn't get. They were not fed donor human milk.
1: Excuse me. How These old were the babies, babies at this point?
2: So these babies were 32 weeks of age.
1: But by the time. Eight weeks early. But by the time you see them, how old are they?
2: Um, So we didn't get an opportunity to feed them with donor human milk. They were fed formula within 24 hours of birth. Okay. Within three days of birth, both of these babies developed necrotizing enterocolitis. Mm. The immediate reaction is to stop feedings and treat with antibiotics. And one baby was treated solely that way. The other baby was too far advanced, taken to surgery, and had two-thirds of his intestines removed. Oh, man. That baby lived for about 60 more days, never was able to eat again, and then that baby died. His twin, who also developed necrotizing enterocolitis but did not require surgery, was treated with antibiotics and feedings were withheld. And then when feedings were resumed, that baby was fed donor human milk and that baby has survived. The wow. baby now is almost ready to go home.
1: And now how that old baby, is the baby has now? some
2: damage. So the baby now is about four months old. Yeah, okay. And the baby um, will forever have challenges in terms of his ability to metabolize food and therefore to grow and develop. Mm -hmm. But they have one twin instead of two because babies were fed formula.
1: And let me just make two clarifications here, Kim. First of all, you know, and I know, but our listeners might not, not know, you're not at all implying this is, that this is going to happen to every 32-weeker because I've taken care of many 32-weekers with my own hands, as have you, and the babies didn't get necrotizing enterocolitis, that is neck, but certainly they can. And I think you brought out really nicely in this scenario the fact that it only takes three days.
2: That's right, Marie. So when it, doesn't, we look it doesn't have children, to be a
1: forever deal, deal here. It can really happen quite quickly.
2: That's right. Neck does happen quickly. And, you know, we have a lot of children born at 32 weeks. And we can't look at them, just like we can't look at a baby and say it's healthy or not. We can't right. look at these babies at 32 right. weeks and say, okay, you 10 over there, you're going to be great with formula. You two right. over here, we better give you human milk. We don't have any idea. That's right. So we try yeah. to give the best care all the time and avoid these complications. Obviously, we didn't get so lucky with these babies. And so we've got a family who's tragically mourning the loss of one child and the illness of the surviving child.
1: That's so important to understand that the outcomes can be very uh, terrifying, uh, fatal, certainly. And, you know, can I just... I guess I've just kind of never thought about it quite that way but you're right these kids do not come with a sign across their chest that says hi I'm going to develop neck and die and another kid with a sign across his chest that says hey you can feed me anything you want and somehow I'm going to get through it they just don't come labeled that way Ooh, man after that one Kim I think you better tell us how about a story where we had uh, a baby getting human milk and there was a really good outcome
2: Right. So, we obviously have lots of good outcomes and hospitals work their hardest to save these tiny babies. So, those babies we talked about were born at 32 weeks. I have a a baby in a family I spoke with recently who was born at 25 weeks, so a full 15 weeks early. This is a baby that was a little over one pound, so quite a tiny little one. And that baby received a little bit of milk from his mom initially but mom didn't have very much she had just enough to give a little bit each day and then the rest of her fee- his feedings rather were made up with donor human milk and that baby received a combination of mom's milk and donor human milk for 105 days and now that baby is going three home months. that's right but that baby is healthy That baby has grown well and that baby has the benefit of receiving only human milk feedings and that equals eight IQ points for these preterm babies. So that's a very smart baby, a very, very lucky baby.
1: Yeah, I certainly know that early in my career when I was sort of, you know, like not smart enough to know what I was doing, that was one of the first things that I noticed was a baby that I was taking care of that I would say was maybe, as I recall, about 27 weeks and he was exclusively breastfed, certainly not at the breast, but was getting his mother's milk exclusively and I just remember thinking wow I don't know anything about this breastfeeding stuff but I see that this kid is really doing well and it was kind of like my first little ding-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling breastfeeding must be the right thing and you know my father was always great at mentioning that nobody could beat mother nature and I think that that's so true with human milk. You know, there's just, there is no substitute for the real deal. These are just such great, great stories. And uh, Kim, how, give us just a little, uh, give us a little feel. How do you feel when you're able to help these kids?
2: You know, Marie, I I wouldn't be here at a successful milk bank if it weren't for the compassionate moms who donate their milk. So the real credit goes to them. But I can tell you that as a nurse midwife having delivered a lot of these little babies for a long time, now being able to provide them with very safe donor human milk and watch them stabilize in the hospital and go home sooner with fewer infections, with Higher brain activity and better eyesight and very stable blood sugar and body temperature. Everything is so very improved on human milk. It feels as if I have just been witness to a blessing. I am yes. able to watch them thrive yes. because of this milk. Feels there good. are
1: days... There are days when I wake up and I ask myself, why on earth am I still doing this? In fact, why am I still working when my friends are retired? And the answer is because it's so important. There's so much work to do and it makes me feel so good. Uh, Tomorrow, for example, I'm going to uh, do a consult for a hospital that is trying to get their baby-friendly designation. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to that because I know that that is such a turnaround for that hospital, for any hospital trying to go baby-friendly. And it's, more importantly, it's such a turnaround for those kids. And it just, you know, it just warms my heart. It is, as you said, such a great, great blessing. All right, everybody, look at, this has been really interesting to hear about Kim's real-life situations Don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here with Kim Updegrove, who is the immediate past president of the Human Milk Banking Association of North America, and the executive director of the Mother's Milk Bank of Austin, Texas. Don't go away. We will be right back after this short break.
3: Your life, your health, your network.
4: Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit BreastfeedingOutlook.com or call us at
0: 703-787-9894. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuzo? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby-Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you're tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides, with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works
3: for your staff.
0: You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with Kim Updegrove from the Milk Bank. Uh, Kim, I have taught literally thousands of nurses, literally thousands of lactation consultants, IBCLCs. I've taught in 40 out of the 50 states from one coast to the other. And I will tell you that a question that I have gotten so many times is, how do we get donor milk to be in the hospital? How do we get it so that we can just have it like in the fridge or well in the freezer, excuse me, and ready to go so that we don't have to have any kind of delay.
2: What right. Is, so, we we've talked about the fact that donor human milk is prioritized for the very tiny babies, and those babies are being cared for in the neonatal intensive care units. Any level 3 NICU, which is a, a NICU that's qualified to care for a baby who's about 3 and a half pounds or smaller, All that needs to happen is a healthcare provider in the NICU needs to call the milk bank or email the milk bank and let us know how many bottles of what caloric content is needed for the NICU this week. They might call and say, oh, they need 25 bottles of 20 calories per ounce and 10 bottles of 24 calories per ounce. Then we ship the milk frozen to them and they have it in their freezer for the babies who who need it, who don't have milk from their biological mothers.
1: Kim, when you say the health care provider, do you mean someone who has prescriptive privileges?
2: That's right. So a neonatal nurse practitioner or a physician can order donor milk for the babies in the NICU and then a nurse can place that call, or even the unit secretary can place that call, but it must okay. be ordered first by someone with prescriptive privileges.
1: Yeah, because I know that in my staff nurse role, I could not have just gone over the phone and said, oh gee, you know, I'd like some of this, can you pack it on up, you know? That's so, right, just
2: like any other prescriptions, got to be someone with a license.
1: What does the future look like for milk banking here in the United States?
2: We know from studies that the presence of a milk bank in a community increases both breastfeeding rates and increases good outcomes for preterm babies by making more human milk available to those babies. So that leads us to say that we'd like to start a milk bank in every state in the United States. Now, we have 15 in the United States right now. We have another five that will open within the next six months, approximately. And another five will open a year after that. So we're on our way, but we still have work to do.
1: Kim, are you at liberty to tell us where those wannabe milk banks are going to grow up?
2: I can tell you where those soon-to-be-opened milk banks
1: are located. We'll take it. Yeah, what have you got?
2: Those locations include Virginia and Florida, and Mississippi, and Alaska, and Pennsylvania.
1: Ooh, wow. I'm going to repeat that. It's Virginia, Florida, Mississippi, which really surprises me because they've got such low breastfeeding rates and have for years. Um, Alaska and Pennsylvania. Woohoo! So kudos to you folks there. Very good. Kim, we've talked so much over the last many, many years minutes and during the show last week as well, when we talked about donors, what are the three or four take-home messages that every listener, parent or professional, needs to know by listening to this show or, or the last week's show?
2: I think first, Marie, that uh, human milk is best for human babies. That's a primary take-home message. Our own species should feed our own species of babies, just like any other species then every healthy lactating mother has the opportunity to become a lifesaver. She should call a milk bank nearest her. It does not have to be in her state, but she can go to our milk bank website at www.milkbank.org and look at the milk banks or call us and we'll help her to decide which one is closest to her. She can go through a simple screening process that includes an interview, a little bit of paperwork, and blood test at our expense, and then she can be a superhero and save babies. And the third message is simply that even if you're not lactating, if you don't have milk to share, you have something else to share. You have the ability to communicate to others, to everyone, how important human milk is for all babies, but most especially for these tiny preterm babies. Spreading the word, informing others, will allow others to make the informed choice that will lead to good decision-making.
1: Well, Kim, I'm too old to donate milk, and you know me. I'm so quiet. I would never be spreading the word. (laughs) (laughs) What else can I do to help?
2: So you can also volunteer... You can okay. volunteer to do something you're doing tomorrow to take educational materials to a place where they will be shared with childbearing families.
1: How about you career can volunteer.
2: service? Yep, right. So you can volunteer to pick up milk from a donor and bring yeah. it to the milk bank or ship it for that donor. You can volunteer to work here in the milk bank in the labs. We'll teach you how to work in the labs <laughs> or If you think the lab is not enticing, we'll teach you how to stuff envelopes full of thank yous for moms who are donating their milk. You can also give financially to our charitable care program, a program that allows us to send milk to babies regardless of their insurance coverage or family financial resources. Lots of ways for anyone to help.
1: And so this would be a good place for me to tell you ladies if you are even remotely interested in being a donor saving a life saving a child uh I'm sure that Kim would take money, but actually she's not really looking for money so much as she is looking for a donation of milk. We talked in the last show about how just an ounce or two after breastfeeding your own child four or five times a day, and if you do that for less than a month, Kim has a way to be able to meet the needs of literally hundreds, if not thousands of children. And I would encourage you, call her toll-free, 877-813-6455. And if you mention my name or you mentioned that you heard it on Born to be Breastfed, Kim will enter you into a contest, will randomly draw for the winner and the winner of that contest will get a $50 Amazon.com card with my compliments. Kim, thank you so much. As usual, this uh, hour goes way, 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 way too fast. Thank you, Kim Updegrove, for being with us today. And thank all of you who are here because you make this show what I get up for on Monday mornings I'd like to invite all of you to come back next week and I'd also like to invite you to visit my website at borntobebreastfed.com for a preview of what's coming up next week and if you're a professional and you're interested in professional continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, remember, I'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city. I will be in, I've forgotten, but six or eight or 10 different cities over the next few months where I'll be teaching both my comprehensive lactation uh, course and my lactation review course. If you are a parent, I would encourage you to visit borntobebreastfed.com. If you're a professional, please visit me at www.breastfeedingoutlook.com. It's been a long day, folks. I'm Marie Biancuto. I promise I'll help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday, same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week.